This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. For today's Food Friday, we're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of Metropolis Coffee Company, the largest fair trade coffee roaster in Illinois. It was founded by father-son duo Jeff and Tony Dreyfus with a mission to build a community around coffee. And now, 18 years later, its roastery produces more than a million pounds of coffee each year. Now, I have to confess, I've never been a big coffee fan. I know, shocking. But I sat down with co-founder Tony Dreyfus this week to see if he could change my mind. In a few moments, you'll hear sounds from our recent cupping session. That's an industry term for a coffee tasting. But first, Tony explains how he got hooked on coffee and what inspired his family to start the business. I would go to this coffee shop on State Street in Madison where I was in school. And uh, one day I walked in and I had a cup of coffee and I walked out, um, took a sip and it just kind of grabbed me, you know, and I tripped on the edge of the rabbit hole and walked back into the cafe and saw the kind of stone hippie barista. I'm like, what is this? He's <laughs> like, it's from Sumatra, man. Like, oh, cool. And I went home. I was dating a girl who's now my wife. Uh, this was back in 1997 or so. Mm-hmm. I said, I think I know what I want to do with my life. So a few years later, we moved out, a couple years, we moved out to Portland, Oregon. And uh, I decided to actually pursue it. I got a job with Pete's Coffee and Tea and worked my way up from entry level. Like, they wouldn't even let me touch the espresso machine, you know, scooping the beans. Uh, I wanted to learn everything. I thought of it as an apprenticeship. Um, They didn't know that. And um, I worked my way starting in retail, became a retail leader kind of in the management team, and then took a pay cut to be a tasting trainer at Pete's. Meanwhile, my wife, who's a Chicago girl, she's from uh, West Rogers Park, from Westridge, okay. Devon and Western, um, really missed Chicago. And we were thinking about starting a family. We'd gotten married. And so she wanted to move to Chicago. I said, you know, I love Chicago. Let's move to Chicago. So we moved, like, basically to the corner of Devon and Western. And I started planning, building a coffee shop. Meanwhile, my dad, who's a linguist, uh, he was at the University of Washington in Seattle teaching Indonesian language. Uh, he had befriended this great coffee guy out there at a place called Cafe Vida, and he had been learning a little bit on the side about roasting and, and tasting coffee called cupping, and uh, invited me out for a trade show in Seattle called Coffee Fest. So I flew out there. We didn't have any plans to open a business together or anything. My dad was employed by the university. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got into an espresso drinking competition. Uh, we, can, we can compete about anything, you know, like, which way is the hot dog vendor going to walk on the stairs? Um, but we started drinking espresso. We had, um, you know, probably a good 12 or 14 double shots. This was, you know, the late 90s, you know, early 2000s in Seattle. And uh, found ourselves in front of a roaster booth and saw a machine there. And we just... We, we were just awestruck. It was gorgeous. I mean, it looks like the business end of a locomotive. I mean, it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And we, we got out our checkbooks and bought the darn thing. So you dragged your dad into this? It wasn't the other way around? That's what I assume. <laughs> you hear of a father-son business. It's like, okay, dad made him do it. He and my mom were living in Seattle. I was living in Chicago. I was thinking with my wife about starting a family. They were thinking about being around their grandkids. So I think part of it was... My dad's family, my mom's family, we come from a long line of like entrepreneurial Jews from, you know, Eastern Europe, Germany, Poland. And uh, it just sort of, that's what you do. You start a family business. So yeah. that's kind of what we did. What's business been like? So the first day of the pandemic for us, and not for other people, some people were already sick and dying, but uh, March 15th, 2020, uh, everything shut down. Mm-hmm. And 
all of our customers. We're, we're a wholesale coffee roaster uh, specializing in cafes, restaurants, hotels, universities, businesses, er- everything shut down. And so 70% of our business just stopped on that day. Right away, it was so obvious that there was big safety issues for our own company, for our own team, for our people, for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we didn't know, nobody knew really like how to do that. And so in our cafe, our cafe specializes in people coming together. It's really, it's an edge water. There's, you know, it's the most diverse community in Chicago. Everybody just crams in that place and we, we knew we couldn't do that. You know, and in our roasting plant, we're, we're shoulder to shoulder packing coffee together. We knew we couldn't do that either. We just didn't know how to do it. So it was financially incredibly difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, there were decisions that I hope to never have to make again. Um, like? Like letting go lots of people who worked at this company for a long time. Um, or even newer people just, just couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. We were going to go out of business, you know. Um, in, in retrospect, um, I don't know how we would have done it differently. I, I, I know that there's probably a better way to do it, but I don't know that there's a good way to do it. The scariest days of this pandemic for the business, what did those look like? There's just no business coming in. There's nothing to roast and there's no money to pay for everyone. Um, thankfully, uh, there was government stimulus, which we absolutely needed and was like, as it turns out, almost exactly the right amount for us. Um, But it was dark. Things that we just thought, you know, we just took as the gospel or God's given truth, this is the way you do business. It gave us a chance to to rethink and maybe redo some of those things to run a different kind of organization. So I guess that's a benefit. Um, So you made some tweaks. Tons, yeah. Especially on our organization, like how, how it's built, you know, who does what. Um, we became scrappy again, just like we were when we first started, when it was me and my dad. And, you know, you kind of make it up as you go along. And there was something really exciting about that. Yeah. You somehow, throughout this, um, managed to keep this sense of community happening at Metropolis. How do you do that? Well, it's, it's, it's complicated when people can't physically be in the same space. Uh, we checked in on each other in a very, like, honest way. You never knew who was going to be having... Um, a day for whatever reason and you just kind of had to take it at face value and sometimes people had things going on in their own lives we have a a person who works here who lost both her parents during you know during the pandemic so i think we just tried to be authentic and and in terms of the the community at large it was actually really hard At, at our cafe we tried to be open where uh people could come in and be safe but without that sort of Nexus of people mixing together. It just didn't feel like metropolis, which is, you know, really what the name means. It means, you know, community. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when we reopened where people could be back together, we had people crying in the space. I mean, literally crying in the space, seeing each other, just being in the physical space. Uh, it was it was very emotional. Did you ever think you'd be seeing 18 years of metropolis? No. <laughs> Short answer. Um you know, we, I was in my 20s when we opened Metropolis. I'm not in my 20s anymore because it's 18 plus 20, whatever. Let me do the math. No, right don't. Do Calculating, carry the one, add the two. <laughs> I, I didn't even think about it, I'll be honest. I didn't even think about it. I certainly didn't envision what we're doing now. I, it didn't cross my mind. didn't seem possible. Well, let's talk about that. You've grown exponentially over the years, right? Let's talk about that. How have you grown? Uh, what other projects have you gotten involved in? And how are you sort of connecting and supporting the community? 
We have grown quite a bit. Um, a lot of our growth happened actually really early, and then it's been slower since. Um, so we started roasting in the back of our coffee shop, right? We had a 12 kilo roaster uh, where we would roast, you know, 20, 30 pounds at a time. My dad was the roaster. And then in um, 2007, we won a national roasting competition called Roaster of the Year. And that really put us on the map nationally. And all of a sudden, wholesale took off for us. Uh, and by 2009, we'd moved to a second location. It was about a 10,000 square foot roastery in Andersonville, uh, across from right, Bryn Mawr and Clark. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we outgrew that in 2015 and moved into where we are now at Rockwell on the River. Um, we have mostly grown as a coffee roaster, right? Not as so much as a retailer. We still just have one retail location plus our factory store here at the roastery. Um, so most of our growth has come by selling coffee to other people's businesses. So uh, restaurants, cafes, hotels, and so on, so they can you know, sell to their customers. Over those years, I guess um, what I've seen from, you know, what I, what I think is really interesting about coffee, besides the flavor yeah. and, and, and where it comes from, because I mean, it comes from amazing, really cool places, uh, but there's, there's a lot of value in a pound of coffee. And I think that there's enough value where the people that grow it, the people that drink it, and the people in between can benefit somehow. You know, financially, aesthetically, there's there's a lot of different kinds of benefit that can come from it. I love that you fell in love in college with coffee. That's around the time where people swore up and down for me that that's when my love for coffee would come. They said, oh, for sure, there's no way you're going to get through college and not take a sip of coffee or not become an addict. <laughs> went through college, didn't happen. Then they were like, okay, well, wait till you have kids. There's no way you're going to get through being a mom without drinking coffee. So I'm wondering if today, Tony, might be the day where you kind of make me see the light. This is a tragic story. We have to wonder if it's like an American story where there's a happy ending or maybe maybe something a little more kind of French from the 50s. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, we're going to try, maybe die trying. It's possible. I, I'm so sorry you haven't found that love yet. Maybe uh, you just needed to come here first. Yeah, we'll take a, we'll take a, we'll, we'll try. We'll see. We'll yeah. see what happens. So we're standing in the warehouse. Uh, we're standing next to the pallet racking, which is filled with hundreds and hundreds of burlap bags. Each bag has about 150 pounds of coffee in it. Uh, we're looking at bags from Colombia, Brazil, Ethiopia, Indonesia. First of all, there's a, a bit of an acrid smell, which is actually the smell of coffee roasting. It's sort of the byproduct of coffee roasting. And then there's actual literal coffee smell uh, going through our 18-foot grinder, we call the, the Iron Giant. And if it tastes anything like it already smells, I think we might have a winner. So... This is a cupping. Um, There are six coffees, and there's three samples of each coffee. And this is pretty typical. You'll do multiple samples just to make sure that it's consistent so everybody can get a chance to smell and so forth. Okay. Um, So there's a a weight out to the tenth of a gram in each of the cups. And one thing you'll notice is there's no filtration. So uh, basically it's just um, beans in a cup. We're going to grind them. We're going to pour water over it. We're going to smell it, and then we're going to taste it. Okay. I can handle it. Sound good? All right, let's do it. 
we're just a few beams through that kind of purges whatever was the last thing we grabbed. Uh, when you pour the water over it, there's like a little crust that forms at the top. So some of the particles actually kind of rise up to the top. And I form love this how crust. you're living on the edge there. You're feeling it right up to the brim. Even surface tension, it's science from what I hear. Right up to the top. Living on the edge. <laughs> okay, so you take your spoon and you dip it in the um, the rinse cup, and then you take a little bit of the coffee in the spoon and you and you spit it out. So you slurp it, you slurp it loudly if possible. So next up is the Ethiopia limu. This is a natural processed Ethiopia, meaning it's uh, fermented in the fruit and it gets like that blueberry strawberry taste because of it. Wait, but I want to do it together. Right? One, One, two, two three. three. <laughs> You know, um, tours here always end better than they start because people get caffeinated. <laughs> right. <laughs> then they get really excited. Like, oh my god. There we go. Mm. Mm. No. Let's see. Mm, it's like vanilla, right? Yeah. Yes. Like didn't think I would like a Dracos. You don't hate well, it. There, there are three in this room yeah. that caught my attention. You know, this is a way that we taste coffee. How much is it like drinking coffee at home? A little bit. It hints at it, but um, you know, for, for me, it's like a really um, focused way to taste coffee. So it's not like within an environment where I'm like hanging out with my grandma and drinking coffee. Um, it's more like I'm really focusing just on the flavor of the coffee. And, and I think in a tasting like this, we're tasting a number of coffees next to each other. So it's really, how does it taste insofar as it's, you know, different than its neighbor? Um, so I'll taste this Ethiopia Sukekudo next to an Ethiopia Limu, and somehow by being next to each other, they both take on their own characteristics in kind of a cool way. That's interesting. And very true. Well, what I was worried about was tasting so many that I they all started to taste the same, and that did not happen. Yeah. Everyone had a distinct flavor, so much so that I could say, I like that one, not so much a fan of that one, right? right? And you know, one thing that's kind of cool is that in some ways uh, the way they taste is actually like a little um, window into where they're from. So like this Ethiopia Limu uh, is a natural process from Ethiopia. Ethiopia is the birthplace of coffee. It's the first place that coffee was discovered. And it's processed in kind of the traditional way where they leave the fruit on and it dries in the fruit and then it's milled. And it really takes on the flavor of the fruit. But then you go down there and you have the dark Sumatra which tastes really earthy and kind of vegetal, like maybe like green peppers or basil. And in that case, it's a, um, uh, it's called a wet haul coffee. So in that area of Sumatra, it's, it, it, it's not as dry and arid as it is in this part of Ethiopia. And the coffee actually, you know, sort of molds like a, like a good cheese. So it really takes out those characteristics. And so I think in some ways it's, it's a little window to where it's from. So what makes Chicago a good coffee town? One thing that I love about coffee in Chicago is it's a drip coffee town. You know, you go, um, it's a little hoity-toity on the coasts where it's like all about espresso and cortados and, and, and so forth. But in Chicago, first and foremost, it's a drip coffee town. So people are coming and they're drinking cups of drip coffee. Second, um, rents are affordable here, sort of, um, <laughs> at least compared to New York and LA and San Francisco, we'll say. So, uh, in because of that, uh, I guess.
guess, more individuals, and I'm using individuals in every sense of the word, and open cafes, and you get more like places like the wormhole in Wicker Park that have a literal, you know, Back to the Future car on the wall, or uh, Cafe Jumping Bean in Pilsen that's like, you know, been around since the 90s, and, and they can have a lot of space, and people can really come together. You can't do that in New York. Nobody can afford it, so especially not on the price of a cup of coffee. So the spaces are smaller, you get less community building, um, you get less kind of weird, idiosyncratic owners. Uh, I, I think Chicago is the best coffee town in the country. And also, roasters can have space to grow here. You also can't do that in the bigger bigger areas. So you have the density to um, have a customer base, but also low enough rents that you can actually afford to, you know, let your free flight fly a little bit. All right, so we stated the obvious. I wasn't a big fan before I got here. I think you've kind of converted me, but I want to take this home, right? So tell me, as a beginner, where should I start? Uh, well, I would say don't overthink it. Uh, coffee shouldn't have to take over your life. Um, it should be something that makes your day a little bit better. Uh, if you want to get more into it, there's always more to, to learn and to you know, obsess about, like, like a lot of things. So I would say the first thing to do is um, you can brew perfectly good coffee on a home coffee brewer. You don't need to spend hundreds of dollars on a home coffee brewer. You can do it on one that you get at Target or Walmart or whatever. Um, if you're going to do that, you want to use two level tablespoons per six ounces of water. That's to brew at kind of a specialty strength, you know, like you'd get at a, at a cafe. Mm -hmm. So two level tablespoons of ground coffee per six ounces of water. If you want to level up from there, think about getting a grinder. And if you're going to get a grinder, I would recommend getting a, what's called a burn grinder. And that's going to have like a little hopper on it, and you can actually adjust the grind finer or coarser. Uh, that's going to be a little bit easier to use and also more consistent than a plate grinder. Same thing, two level tablespoons per six ounces of water. A um, couple more things. Uh, think about buying coffee every couple of weeks uh, and try to buy it if you can at the local coffee shop, the one where you like the coffee. And if you don't have a grinder, ask them to grind it for you and they're, they're going to ask you what kind of filter or device you have. Just tell them and it's going to be professionally ground. And why do you say every couple of weeks? Well, coffee, once you roast it, it starts to stale. So, uh, especially once you grind it, because it has a lot more surface area, it can dry out more quickly. So every, every week or two, maybe three weeks, and then when you do get it home, just keep it in the cabinet. Don't put it in the fridge. Eight advice. I know what supplies I need to buy this weekend. Thank you so much, Tony Dreyfus of Metropolis Coffee Company for the tour and tasting. And congrats on 18 years in Chicago. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.